0: Welcome to the ONS Energy Talks, a podcast where you meet experts on energy, technology and sustainability. Hello and welcome to a podcast by Learn and ONS Energy Talks. My name is Sylvia Serres. Our topic is energy, and my guest today is Frode Vattum, or Fro- Frodo, <laughs> the chief strategy officer from um, a Norwegian company in transportation called Ruter. Welcome, Frode. Thank you. Uh, Frode, you are uh, you have two hats today. Uh, you are the chief of strategy for Ruter, and then you are the chairman of the board for uh, the World WWF, uh, World Wildlife Foundation. Exactly. So we'll talk uh, both about energy um, side of transportation, for example, but also about sustainability and environment. Mm -hmm. Um, So before we do that, I'd like you to say a few words about who you are and what you do.
1: Mm -hmm. So... uh name Frode, but people call me Frodo who doesn't speak Norwegian. That's the only way I can make them remember me. <laughs> uh, I, uh, as you mentioned, work both at, at Rutter and I'm and really honored to be the chair of the Norwegian WWF. Um, and I call myself a, a, um, a, a sustainable strategist. So basically, I'm, I've been studying and worked in strategy uh, all my life. Uh, and I was in Sri Lanka back in, I think now was 17 years ago. And since then, I've been really decided to uh, have a job that uh, that makes a difference uh, and mainly in the in the area around sustainability environment uh, climate change that's actually driven my my career both mm. at, at ruter uh, and the chairman and wbf uh, and before then when i was building up and, and running an entity within accenture uh, which is called sustainability services
0: so um how does one work on sustainability? It's one of these topics where, you know, it's important and it's big and it's complex. And then it becomes so big, it's hard to move the ball or the needle. Hmm. How, how, do you, how do you do that?
1: Well, that's the fun part of being, being a strategist, right? Because uh, if you like working, I think that's important. Uh, it's uh, complex and it's important. Then, then um, I think a lot of people want to, to work with it. But if you are educated strategist, you're kind of used to trying to understand complex things and break it down and start making a change. So um, if you have that capability or you, if you learn that and at the same time really have an, a, a passion to, to make a change, uh, then I think uh, you have to work with sustainability uh, in the strategy uh, sphere. And that also I, I saw that when working at the, as a consultancy. Uh, it was really the really good people who started working on this topic. Some of these people were there because they really wanted to make a change. Some of them just wanted to have the biggest challenge ever and 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 make a change in that area, which is energy, which is climate, which is circular, uh, circular economy, all within the area of sustainability.
0: I have a feeling that uh, absolutely every energy company uh, in the world is since maybe, I don't know, a year ago, think, thinking about sustainability and environment in a more practical way, in a more urgent way than they did before. Why? Is Are we finally beginning to believe the numbers from the different uh, uh, reports? Uh, is the technology providing new solutions? Um, yeah, it's, I, I have th- a feeling that, you know, you're finally mm. becoming the hottest strategy uh, mm. guy uh, <laughs> around, not just a kind of a greenwasher. washer. Mm. Why? Well, it's,
1: uh, it is uh, true, as you say, because also my experience when I was hoping to be the hottest strategist in the world at Accenture, it was too early. You know, a lot of uh, CEOs and relevant people were interested to talk to Accenture when I was talking about sustainability, but they weren't ready to engage in a big project.
0: They weren't ready to take the cost.
1: No. They're ready to learn. They were engaged. They wanted to have it in, in their brand, but really to to make it have an impact on the big decisions in terms of strategic direction, in terms of investment, in terms of what not to do, uh, it's very very few companies who, who who were there at that time. But now, yes, it's it's uh, a, a total different uh, uh, time. So maybe I should have been a consultant right now. Uh, but um, I think there are many things com- coming together, and I think the, the the facts has been in some parts of the companies. The facts have been there for for five. You know, five years, I would imagine. But there, are, first of all, you see a lot of the predictions are are going faster. Either it's uh, electricity, uh, or there's technology on solar panels, renewable energy. Battery. Things are battery. Mm. So things are happening a lot faster in in some or many areas of technology. Um, and secondly, also that the you know after the Paris Agreement and now with the the regulations also or the rules in place uh, with the COP the latest COP. Also, it's an important framework that's not just political talk. The politicians understand that they have to start uh, being transparent about where they are, where they want to go. The EU funding are starting to really uh, directly um, uh, start to leverage on the sustainable development targets. So if you have a lot of those uh, institutional now processes and and, and laws and regulations that also come into place, I think uh, those are the two uh, biggest uh, changes. I was hoping it's going to be more that the people would demand it. Not sure if that's the case in terms of the customer perspective of of, um, the society.
0: I think people need examples. They Mm. can't think in percentages, you know, and they can't think in millions of some things. They they need to see how, you know, a certain island has flooded or how a certain species uh, that they really care about has Mm. gone or something. And then I think cumulatively we've reached some sort of a point where people realize, well, you know, China... The cities are too polluted, so they do something really material about mm. this thing. Yeah. So um, I'm also fascinated by the whole cross-functional nature of these things. We talk mm. about sustainability very often related to the environment, but really all these SDGs are also very social in their nature. Mm. Um, and I like uh, when I asked you, what are you really doing? You said to me, well, you know, I'm searching a way to steer public t- transportation towards the social, societal value we create. I, I think I know what you mean, but I'd like you to talk more about it. Yeah. Um,
1: well, I think if, if you, if you um, listen to the politicians, why they have public transportation, uh, a lot of them would say, um, you know, to solve the traffic jams. Uh, and, and a lot of them would say it's also an environmental important initiative. To reduce car traffic and to reduce local and, and global emissions or, or pollutions, um, but if you really look at the, the what, what um, having public transportation means for the society versus not having it, you, you look at the, the whole dimensions of benefits, uh, environmental and uh, and social, um, and that's also we just uh, did a sustainability strategy at Drutu, where I work, which um, you know more clearly defined what that uh, value is. And I think it's both uh, interesting to, to see it and, and, and for politicians politician to, to steer uh, after it. So one of those uh, social aspects is, of course, how equal um, equal situations uh, you have of the people in one region. So mo- I think many people so, outside. yeah,
0: So equal, equal as in
1: anti-polarizing. Yes, mm. exactly. And I think many people outside would think that we're so equal in Norway. But actually, if you look at the you know, social studies on Oslo you have quite a big difference in east and, uh, east, uh, and west. Uh, so by having public transportation uh, that runs quite frequently by a, f- by a sensible price, uh, you get actually a, lot of, a bit of the everyday life is uh, more similar for everybody uh, than maybe in other cities. And you have people coming from uh, the east side who can work in the city uh, and can go back. Uh, and it works. You get the job in a, in a, in a, in a cheap way. Uh, it makes the unemployment rates uh, quite high. Mm. or employment rate high mm. and it also uh, gets a sense of being more equal uh, in the, the city also if you think about people outside the city versus Oslo yeah. uh, we have a big effect on to making that some kind of the work that you yeah. can actually travel across Yeah, uh, also the quality of living inside a city and outside of a city
0: I, just for uh, kind of the sake of our international listeners, I want to add two things to that. One is that Oslo is one of the most compact cities in the world. It's a capital. It's a very nice, beautiful capital. But really, what makes it so unique is this position between the, you know, the blue and the green, and the city in between. We have these forests and lakes and, uh, you know, slow, small mountains around yeah. Oslo. But then there's the fjord at the heart of Oslo. And um, how easy it is to get to. All of this nature from anywhere in Oslo is quite unique. And um, what I, what, one of the things that, that I've traveled and lived quite a few places in the world, and I was thinking about how much the public transportation of any city defines that city. I really think it's the glue that keeps it together, and and it doesn't help if it's only for the poorest or only for the you know sports interested. Or it has to be something that is a service to everybody in that city. It's a meeting point in a way, not just a means of meeting. And in Norway, we have uh, even the king on a tram. Hmm. I don't know how many times, but <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think it's such an important equalizer, as you say. Hmm. But then we talk about, you know, energy side of this whole thing. So one thing is solving the big demographic challenges of future. It could be loneliness. It could be polarization. It could be urbanization. All of this stuff you work with. But mm. but then, you know, we also need to make it clean and we have to think about energy mixes. And I feel that we are often spending too much time debating, should it be hydrogen or should it be bioethanol or should it be, you know, when, when all we need to do is test a lot and try the mix that works, or I mean, how, how do you go about implementing all this important social change quickly enough?
1: Well, uh, yeah, that's um, that's a challenge, I think, uh, an interesting part of, of sitting in a company like uh, Ruter, uh, to take that as an example, because we, um, we have to develop ourselves uh, quite fast so we have to and then we cannot you know make a report find out what the right thing is and then make the decision after the report is finished because things ch- uh, happen uh, just by considering if it's biogas or biodiesel you know the the, the changes of price in, in biodiesels and biodiesels and some changes of supply and biogas makes that decision different <laughs> after you've finished it so you have to have a dynamic approach uh, and making a decision when you need to make it and make that you understand the, all the things you need to understand to make that decision, what technology, if you're going to make that decision. Uh, but at the same time, so, so we, I think in our role, we have to be dynamic and, and you know, put out there what is our uh, objectives, what is our environmental objectives, what is the operational demands, what are the financial aspects we need to consider, and sustainability uh, dimension of it. But the system have to be good at understanding the... I think the whole ecosystem of energy, and I think that's the, the difficult part. Uh, and I guess it's the politicians uh, and ac- academics' uh, main responsibility to understand the holistic aspect of things, to follow the changes, and to make sure you make uh, the right decisions to, to to make it all connect. If it's uh, on the, the, the upstream or downstream of energy, if it's us uh, using electric vehicles versus bio, uh, if it's bio production going to be used to what, It's a very complex and it's very big changes in that area. Uh, And somebody has to understand both the current situation uh, and what we think might be scenarios for the future and be able to agile. um, Provide the bridge. Provide Mm. the bridge, incentivize, Mm. provide regulations and at least also provide the the right facts uh, about things. And that's the most difficult uh, piece because you can calculate biogas versus biodiesels versus electrification in many ways and get different uh, responses about the right decision
0: Get is. exactly the answer you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you have a phrase that I love. You said uh, you care about total energy efficiency. Hmm. And of course, it's really difficult to, to you don't even, we don't even know exactly what solution, what, what equation we are solving for, hmm. but I think it's by creating different equations and then trying to see how it works. I think one of the big problems we have is that the way that we measure our efficiency And the way that our owners are measuring us is based on the old technologies and the old business models. Mm. And you have to somehow push through both.
1: Yes. Yes. And I think the, 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 what we're trying to push for really is actually to to use some national and preferably international standards. So we're sitting in in the, uh, you know, the entity that's working on uh, environment at Mm. at Ruter, Uh, we are, you know. We have our own perspective on what's good and not. But you know, if we don't follow what the Norway is saying about the uh, environmental soundness of the one mm-hmm. technology or the other, and they don't listen to the EU, we're going to have a serious issue because then you get all of those different perspectives and different factors about what's good and bad. And then it's not going to be that holistic system uh, aspect as we discussed. So I think the first thing we should do is to make sure that we align ourselves as, as much as possible both the, the companies with the owners, uh, with the boards, with the national and with the EU. Um, International. And, and mm. if there's a difference, we have to understand why it's a difference. Uh, and that that we either agree that we make this difference uh, or not. And one of the aspects is, of course, if we calculate bio diesel and biogas as zero emissions or not. Mm. That's where the router different from our owners. Mm. So we're having discussions with them on that mm. just to make sure that we have a reason for doing that. Uh, and if mm. not, we should stop. Yeah. But, um,
0: so you, you, yeah. Um, I was asking you, what do you think we do well in Norway? Ruter was, um, if I've heard correctly, one of, uh, on one of these recent public transportation conferences, named mm. one of the three most innovative companies in public transportation in the world. Mm. And I think it has to do with also your social nerve, the way that you think about how this improves society in the right direction. Uh, but you have also been very quick in rolling things out. And I think that is difficult leadership these days. But you say we have some advantages and you play to them. One Mm. is being a super user of self-servicing in digital services. Mm. You have to give us a couple of examples there. And then you say, well, we are really good at um, spread and scale of electric vehicles Mm. across private and public. Mm. Can you tell us more?
1: Yeah. uh, if you take the the, the last example, I think, one of the logical uh, reasons for that is because we we have to reduce carbon emissions somewhere. Uh, the biggest place in Norway is uh, from transport uh, because we don't want to touch oil. Um, and we have the incentive uh, to do so because we have so much, um, uh, let's say, taxations on vehicles. So it's easier for us to reduce them on electric vehicles than for other um countries to give incentivize mm. for those things. So I think that's one of the logical reasons for it. But I think the interesting part was when I listened to um, a presentation at NAF, uh, the Norwegian Automotive uh, mm. Union, they talked about the difference just between the Nordic countries. And they said, like, in Norway, people, when electric cars are coming, oh, cool, let's try it. Oh, can we, can we just charge here? Oh, let's see how this works. So they talked about how this uh, people mentality is, oh, this is something new. Let's test it. Whereas in, in Denmark and Sweden, there was more like, okay, this is a new thing. Let's study it. Let's hear what it, what it means. Let's uh, get some uh, clear uh, consequences of, uh, before doing it. So they talked about Norwegian people just being a bit easier going and mm. eager to test Playful, things. maybe. Playful, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Um, so I think that's uh, very important in all ecosystem. Uh, I'll tell you what. I,
0: as a foreigner in Norway, mm. my impression is that Norway has a super strength in uh, applying different technologies for different kinds of processes because we need to because we live in quite extreme conditions, and I think it 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 is quite culturally and historically comfortable to mm. to to test technologies to to do things more efficiently because it's required. Mm. It's uh, but,
1: so. But the, but the second one is with the, mm-hmm. with the technology because that's the biggest I think advantage for us at U2, because we think that the um, the the interface between us and the, and the customers now being the, our app, the router app it's very important that we, we keep that because that's our steering point if we have an, an app telling you when to go, where to go and pay for it that will actually steer up a lot of your um, behavior. Choices uh, Choices, exactly, so we need to remain uh, relevant with that interface mm. to you and um, when we started you know, three years ago when we worked quite fast with our, mm. our router payment mm. app uh, we scale that to 50% mm. quite fast, and then people say, you know, that's great. Then you have a great app. But the mm. thing is that you know we have 93% of our customers have a smartphone. Mm. Uh, we have 4G everywhere, and people are connected and they test things. They, mm. they, they they download apps and they test things themselves. So that digital curiosity and the kind of scale of people being able to use it is just unique. If you go to south of Europe even though they had the best app in the world, they couldn't have that outreach, mm. which means that they have to work on, on other kind of information flows, uh, mm. which is a lot difficult to make change. Mm. The more difficult to make people travel, mm. public transportation, more difficult to to influence them otherwise.
0: Trude, the very, very cool. Um, uh, I would like to spend just a couple of minutes on talking a little bit about World Wildlife Foundation as well. Mm. Um, I'm thinking endangered species, but it does more. Tell us what it does and why. Well, the uh, WWF
1: is really uh, there to um, make sure that we live in harmony with nature. And if we have that as objectives, we, we, we're we the biggest um, an NGO in the world. And we have said that to, to work on that case, we work both on uh, climate change and on the environment. Uh, one of the reasons why we do that, if you see, you cannot work on dangerous species and environment if you don't handle climate change. Um, so for us, uh, climate change is really about, first of all, it's pro- pro- providing facts. We have an issue, we have to do something. Right now, I think more of the people in the world and in Norway realize that. And it's also more than to to make things happen, to make progress change, to um, give advice to politicians uh, how to to work with private sector and make pol- politics. But the big uh, the big battle is, is right now on the environment and endangered species. Because we know a lot about the climate change, but if the, the history of endangered species that we lose, you know, 2% of number of species each year that we did, you know, already taken away 50% of an endangered species, that's, that's critical. And to your point, we have to kind of tell that story, make people understand it, that uh, <laughs> animals are dying out. And also if they're dying out, you can feel sorry about the animals, but it's the ecosystem. So if the animals disappear, the, us as people, We'll also, we die uh, a little bit die. as well. Yeah, not just a little bit, because the ecosystem belongs. Or the food we eat mm. are very connected to the species we have. Mm. So we're trying to talk about that, because climate change, people understand now, and it's starting to happen something. The environmental issues and the species that's dying out, that story is not told yet. So story why. of bees,
0: for example. Story
1: of bees and, and, you know, many more thousands of species that's re- really dying out. And coral reefs, that, there's, you know, uh, uh, lots is being died out that we're going to lose um, most of it. Uh, one other thing is that's sad. But the sad thing is about also the consequence of not having coral reefs. Coral reefs means consequence for the fishes there, means consequence for the people who eat the fish and fish. Mm-hmm. So you have all that uh, aspects. And I think it's an untold story. That is our so I have to, to I
0: have to ask you a very quick uh, environmental question, uh, and again I'm being a, perhaps a little politically incorrect here. I, I have friends uh, who who run some very exciting startups and who have some big companies and techies, and you know this this um, synergy but also contrast between having a technical solution to everything versus having an organic solution to everything. Mm. So now we have a problem with. Um, uh, what is it called the heating of the planet. The yeah. so so one of the one of the solutions proposed was that, and some very good technologists, very rich technologists say it's the only solution, is you know, spraying something, creating a layer of protective gas or particles between us and the sun. Hmm. The ozone problem and stuff like that. But that to me sounds just like a band-aid. You know, we are we are creating a, uh something that alleviates the symptoms rather than trying to solve the thing that caused the issue hmm. do you think we still have time to 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 fix the real issues and do you think it's technological? Do you think it's technology and politics how How do we go about this
1: um I think there is time, but I'm uh, I'm an optimist. But there's many uh, reasons why not to be an optimist. Uh, if you look at the actual situation on the Earth uh, currently, we are in a hurry. We're in a hurry, and I think it's it's we will fail if not technology and politics deliver. Uh, I'm I'm totally sure. If politics do not uh, put emphasis behind the the COP uh, Paris Agreement uh, to reach uh, ambition of one point five. Uh, uh, degrees, um, uh, technology won't, won't will not come fast enough, mm. um, and if not, uh, technology development will happen as we've done to now, and a lot more uh, will not see the solutions both uh, in mitigating the issues we have and also uh, finding new new solutions, uh, because uh, you know the, the 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 problem is huge and. A lot of people say, well, that, well, there's a lot of good stuff happening. Look at the price of, of batteries and the, and the income of electric vehicles, which, by the way, is, is 0.5% in the world. So we're not that far. Uh, and if you look at coal, which is not, no, it's not reducing. It's actually, you know, it, the energy uses it, it's still really, really uh, the, the need is big. So the, the, we haven't solved the issue of, of, of reducing coal nor oil uh, mm. the 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 near next future. So it has to be a very strong com- uh, co- combination. And if the politicians are, uh, are taking brave um, decisions, I, I think the, the, um, the techies and the um, businesses have a lot more uh, to provide in terms of uh, technology, um, innovation, and investment. If you look at the production of electric vehicles the last five years, although not on, a, on the market, that's huge. If you look at what's happened after Rex started with uh, solar powers, it's huge. So there is a lot of fantastic uh, uh, things, which I think is just beginning. And we need to accelerate that and it's going to be beneficial for the, you know, for, for environment, for social and for, for, uh, and for economics. Mm. E- yeah, absolutely.
0: Amen to that. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, two technology optimists with a <laughs> great sense of urgency. Thank you for listening through the um, um, vattum. Um, I was trying to pronounce it in the right English way, but I didn't. <laughs> there Frodo. is none. There is none. Frodo <laughs> is the only way. I've would... <laughs> uh, Thank you from uh, Ruter. Thank you so much for coming here and teaching us about energy and environment. Thank you. And thank you for listening.